Welcome to the Association Strong Podcast, where we offer insight from both a seasoned association exec and an entrepreneur. I'm Dave Will. And I'm Tom Morrison. Listen in as we discuss and debate hot topics in the association community. Don't forget to subscribe and share us with your friends. Hey, Tom Morrison. We're here again. I know, man. I'm loving this every single day. I'm excited about today, Dave. Truly excited. So today's topic, demographics, generations. I don't know a heck a lot about this, but uh, you brought a friend with you today, didn't you? I did. This guy, Kenneth Grombach, he's spoken at at like three or four of our meetings. And I love this topic because it is the most least amount talked about topic, but probably the most impactful thing that controls so much in our economy and what's going to happen in the future of our associations that's actually going on right now. So Ken, we're so excited to have you here with us today. My pleasure, my friend. Good to be here. So, so, so Ken, I want you to really kind of unpack in, in a short period of time. So I got about 30 minutes here. What, what is demographics and why is it so predictable? So many things around our, around what's going on in the world today. A story I tell is my daughter when she was 15, you know, she's currently 28 years old. When she was 15, she's sitting in the backseat of our Volvo wagon with a friend. I'm driving and her friend leans over and says, uh, what does your dad do? Didn't ask me. She asked my daughter. And, and my daughter says, he's a demographer. <clears throat> And then he can write, he can write in fancy cursive. That's what I would have said. I mean, like he's so he can, he's an artist. Go (laughs) on. You know, most, most people think when, when I say that I'm a demographer, say uh, you make maps. No, that's cartographer. It's a little (laughs) bit. So my, my, her her friend leans over and says, what does your dad do? And and my daughter says, he's a, he's a demographer. There's a pause. And then uh, the friend said, is that like an economist or, or an accountant? Which I thought was kind of astute. And I said, come on, Libby, give her a good answer. And my daughter says, no, accountants and economists count money and stuff. My dad counts people. People are more important than money and stuff. That's what I do. Yeah. And and I put people into formulas. I put people into uh, algorithms. I put people, but I deal with critical mass numeric numbers of people and how that affects everything that we do. Because I maintain that demography is destiny. Oh, okay, so let, let me jump in here for a second then, and because in, in, a, in a rather uh, sensitive uh, world, we're uh, oftentimes encouraged to look at the individual, not at uh, a group of people, um, because that falls in this category of stereotyping. How is, dem- how is a demographer... Uh, doing anything other than stereotyping. Demographers are macro, big picture, 30,000 feet. Isn't that what stereotyping is? I'm going to Google. Hang on. No, what you're you're asking me is what's the difference between psychographics and demographics? You know, what's the difference between examining individuals psychographically or looking at massive numbers of people demographically? And the difference is subjectivity. We're objective. If you, want to, if you want to start basing policy on individuals' personalities, look someplace else because that's not what I do. What I do is I count people and I make generalizations regarding people on norms, on things that are very obvious. Can I give you some examples? Please. Yeah, John. <clears throat> okay. Oh, young people, a, a crop of young people, uh, 16 to 35 years old, are more likely to be liberal, moderate, or... Um, conservative. They're more likely to be liberal. Why? Because they haven't amassed wealth yet. They're not really part of the system yet. And they have ideals. People that are 30, uh, 36 to 55 
are more likely to be liberal, moderates, or conservative. And they're more likely to be moderates because they haven't amassed their full wealth yet and uh, they're, they're cushioning the blows from their kids and their parents. Are, what about people that are 56 to 75, baby boomers? Are they more likely to be uh, liberals, moderates, or conservatives? They're more likely to be conservatives because they control the wealth in the country and, and they don't want to share it. <laughs> it's just a, it's a normal thing. So right. what do we do in our country right now? We have a, a, the, the number of people that are 16 to 35 is 88 million. It's huge. It's the biggest generation in our history by virtually um, eight to 10 million people. It's, it's, it's absolutely huge. It's a huge crop of people. The people who, the indigenous people that were born here uh, in the United States that are 36 to 55 is small. It was only 69 million, 69 million people. And the people and the baby boomers who are 56 to 75 and don't have dying on their punch list are 80 million right now because it includes a little bit of immigration. So what you have is a big population at one end conservatives and a big population at the other end that are liberals and no moderates. So what we have is the like the battle of the century. But we've we've done this before, and we did it before in the late '60s and '70s with the hippies and, and the uh, establishment. So That's can I want here, here's what I want here's what I want to run it to though. So our audience listening to this is associations, and I and so taking it from the socialist realm to what does it mean to associations from a membership benefit value? What industries do you feel like are going to be big industries over the next decade? When you look at the numbers, there's going to be a huge healthcare surge. And the reason for that is you have 80 million baby boomers, 56 to 75. At 75 years old, the, baby, the body breaks. That's pretty much the year that that, that dad. Wait, how, how old? 75. Okay. I got, I got 19 years, man. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 75 years old is when the, when the body breaks. So what's going to happen, especially I'm in South Florida. I, I, I'm warning the folks down here. Uh, in my presentations to uh, gear up, because if they don't gear up, you, you're whatever whatever you do is up for grabs, because it is going to be such a, an incredible increase, probably a fifty percent increase in the amount of healthcare that's provided for the folks that are down here, because of the critical mass of the boomers. Manufacturing, manufacturing is coming back to the states, and it's coming back in in spades. And the reason for that is uh, China shot itself in the foot with the one child only policy. China right now, between the ages of about three years old to 40 years old, is missing a half million people that weren't born. They were cruising along in, in its normal biology, having kids. Uh, their fertility was somewhere around five or six kids per couple, and they, and they limited it to one, which made it actually two. But they're missing uh, a whole section of people, which created a problem for them. And one of the problems was they initially had what they call a demographic dividend in that there were more people that could work because they didn't, they didn't have to care for kids and their dependency ratio was distorted for the people who could provide. And so what happened? So now the uh, labor force in China has a drop like a stone last year it shrunk for the first time and it's going to continue to shrink and it's their big problem. So if they don't have cheap labor, which they were able to produce it at about 25%, of uh, the cost of what we were producing here, why wouldn't you go there? But that's over. So right. manufacturing is coming back in, in every way. Well, see, I saw a prediction, Ken, on a graph of, of this, uh, that China was going to lose almost 350 million of its population between now and 2100. 350 million people by the next 80 years. 
So, yep. so manufacturing and healthcare are are, are are impacted dramatically by these big trends. That that's what I'm hearing. Well, you real quick, Dave. So Ken has a slide in his presentation where I've seen where it's agriculture because you got all these people got to be fed. The automotive industry because come 35, <clears throat> people have kids and they want to upgrade their car to to a, to a new newer car, a bigger car. I mean, uh, there's a whole there's about seven or ten industries that are going to really double in size because you have the number of people to buy it is going to double in size. Well, the big story, Tom. The big story is Generation Y millennials. Millennials are right. 60, 30, 35 years old. They're just now being welcomed into the labor force. They they went into the labor force late. They're marrying late. They're having kids late, and they're needing their own housing late. 330 million people in the United States. You have 80 million baby boomers and 88 million other kids at, at one point. And this is, it's changing dramatically right now as we speak. Lived under one roof. The kids moved out. And unless they were going to live in their cars, we needed to build. Problem we had in 2008 is we had too many houses. Now we have too many buyers. We are 25 million housing units short of our needs. We just did a, a huge study for a, for a major corporation on uh, multifamily housing and multifamily housing is going to be through the roof for probably the next 10 years because of generation Y millennials. And then they're going to, they're going to need other houses. Housing is the economy. The economy is housing. So they, they, that and that presents a real issue because what is the number one thing that people are experiencing right now? They did, they did before COVID, but now, now that COVID's kind of moving a little bit behind us. What's the number one thing we've always had for the last three to four years? Finding, uh -huh. good, finding, finding, good, finding good people to do the work. And many people I spoke to in the uh, real estate industry and the construction side said that they, they could build 20% more houses if they just had the people to be able to push the work through. And they will. I mean, and listening to Ken, I mean, we've got until the millennials all get in the workforce the next 10 years, we have a massive, where well, we have a massive shortage of housing we have a shortage of workers to be able to go out and do that work. So housing is going to get expensive. Wait, wait, uh, would you say the millennials, would you say 25 to 40 now? Millennials? Yeah. 16 to two, uh, uh, 16 to 35. Are there varying definitions of the date periods? Like, is it subjective or there's, there's not one locked in window of time then yeah. like there is, or there isn't. There isn't. No. There is not. So d depending on who you ask, the definition of millennial varies a little bit, right? Yeah, well, I, I, that's I, what I'm seeing because that, that. Well, what I what I what I look at is I don't look at well, one thing Ken taught me is I don't look at the try and define when the millennials were born or 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 in. What happens is, is where does the where does the pot of people moving? What are those like? Yeah, I guess it doesn't matter whether it's a millennial right. or Gen Z. The, yeah. the point being, there's a huge influx of people coming into the workforce, which actually, I, I really want to ask this question. I, I've heard Elon Musk talk about his concern of population decline, which I, I guess I'd, I'd love for somebody to explain to me the problem there, especially since everybody's really, really concerned about population increase for a long time. Are you seeing, are you, are, is there a concern of a population decline in the years to come? 2050, 2060, the population of the world will begin to decrease. And how, explain that to me. If we have such a large group of people coming of age, you know, getting into the baby making age, how is it possible that they're going to, is it just that people are having fewer kids and is it really that many fewer kids? You have to back up. You have to, you have to be big picture and you have to look at the world. Let's take a look at a, a model Republic. 
that was created by the United States. It's called South Korea. South Korea, for every couple, voluntarily, they're having one child. They don't do immigration. What is going to happen to South Korea by 2050? They're not going to have enough taxpayers and they won't have a country. It's impossible. It's going to be just like, like uh, what's happening in Japan. They're not having kids. And in fact, Japan has an, a, a weird problem. They're not even getting married and they're not dating. It is weird. What is happening is the number of people, fertility, replacement level of fertility is 2.2 kids. When you drop below that and you drop below that on a large scale, because it's already happening in China and, and China has you know 1.3 billion people, maybe 1.4, we're not sure. India is stabilized and they're about the same. But overall, we're not having kids. EU, the indigenous folks in the EU, Portugal, Spain, France, Italy, Germany, one child per couple. So what do you think happens when you stop having kids? Well, if you're, if you're doubling the population of baby makers and people are having half as many kids on average, isn't it the same number? Yeah, it would, that would be fine if the United States was the world, but it's not. Yeah, so you, the, so, United, the United States... Ken, if I, correct me if I'm wrong, but the United States is one of the few countries that actually has got a growing population, correct? Exactly. We're, the United States is fine. But, but you're, you're saying, you're, what you're doing, David, is you're saying the United States is the world. It's not. The rest of the world is not having kids. The United States is having kids. But see, Dave, let me connect the dot there for an association. Because we have that inverted curve and we don't have enough management there to take over for the wise and experienced baby boomers who are looking to retire, and COVID's actually pushing more retirees out because they're like, you know what? I'm not going to stick around with this. I'm going to go have a good time in life. But because baby boomers are moving on and there's not enough uh, generation Xers to actually take over for those big management positions, it's a great opportunity for associations from an education leadership training because they have the only people left to take over a lot of those positions are millennials who don't have all the experience and the wisdom that appear in the head that the baby boomer had from 40 years of being at that company. So they've got opportunities to, they have to accelerate the learning into that millennial so they can actually make the big decisions in these companies and their members. So there's, this is where understanding this kind of stuff really helps the association decide what do we need to do to bring, because Dave, Dave was going to ask the question to you. He, last night we were chatting and he said, Tom, I want to I ask Ken, why aren't millennials joining an association? Well, that wait, is hold on. Don't, don't, you're, you're putting words in my mouth. I, I didn't say millennials aren't joining associations. What I said was uh, there's a conversation in the market about Correct. joiners. Correct. And I don't know what the answer is. So uh, let me just ask the question. So yeah, in this conversation about joiners, there's this philosophy that uh, the younger generation are not joiners. You know, there's there's one side of the coin that says that um, I might I think I fall more in the category of demands uh, for value. The value changes the value proposition for one generation is going to be different than what is appealing to a different generation, gener the younger generation. And to be very specific, my theory in particular is that the uh, baby boomers were turning to associations for education, like you're talking about, Tom, far more than the millennial generation or the Gen Z is going to turn to associations for education. My philosophy is Gen Z and millennials, by the way, I don't think they're lacking their ability to, their focus, their attention span. I don't think it's lower. In fact, they're being hit with so much input right. from every direction. I think their filter 
has become stronger. And so now what they're doing is they're filtering out junk and focusing on what's important to them. And if an association, now we're bringing it back to associations, if an association continues to give out all the stuff that the baby boomers absorbed, now the the younger generation will again say, yep, nope, they're going to swipe left on that stuff, man. They're going to swipe left on the on the education because they can go anywhere for that. They don't need to pay to get an education somewhere. They can get rid of that, get rid of that, get rid of that. So what's left? And that's my question to you. Are we seeing the, what the are the do the generations have a different definition of what's valuable from an association? See what you just described from from my perspective is subjective psychographics. You just applied all kinds of uh, opinions about how you think those people think. Totally. Okay, right. So let me tell you what I think is going to happen or what I believe is going to happen. And that is you have 88 million millennials who are just now being welcomed into the labor force. 88 million. This is the largest generation ever born in the United States. Are they going to join associations? Of course they are. And they're going to join associations by the tens of millions, but they're not they, they are just entering the labor force. They're just, everything they're doing is about five to seven years behind. Don't worry about them. You're going to have plenty of membership. One of the problems that you have is generation X that is currently 36 to 55 is a small generation and you have baby boomers leaving. So you're not going to have a core. Folks, don't worry about it. it you're, you're, if you're worried about membership, uh, wait till COVID is over. Wait till these people come in. Are you going to have to change what you do? You're going to have to change your offerings. You're going to have to change everything about marketing associations. Yes, but that's normal stuff. The critical mass of people is huge. So let me let me weigh in here because Ken, this is what I, this is what I think. Um, so baby boomers didn't join anything in their twenties. They didn't join associations in mass. They were just like you know because they didn't have the money. And I'm a big believer that with your definition of millennials, where they're between 18 or 16 or whatever and 35, we're just on the cusp of the largest growth of association memberships in our history. If what Dave's saying, if associations find out what your, what your son-in-law wants, everyday, your, everyday millennials go to work, whether they're a real estate agent, a doctor, a, a business owner. And when they go to work, they have all these troubles and pain points in their head about what's wrong with their business because no business is perfect. And associations who can dig into those pain points for anybody from 26 to 56 and figure it out and offer value to help minimize that pain point is going to get those memberships because now millennials are past paying off a lot of their college. They got their home bought, they've got their kids, and now they've got a little first promotion raise and they have the money to buy into an association. I think boomers did the same thing. They did, boomers didn't join right. associations in math till their early thirties. And I think, Millennials are going to do the very same thing, which is why I'm excited about the future, knowing that it's, it's, it's amazing how excited you can get when you can see the pot of customers behind you because they're there. It's not a guess. Like you said, it's fat. And you can then now build value propositions to draw those people into your association, your industry, and, and make it a, a very prosperous time in the next 10 years. Tom, the, the most asked question about millennials that I get, and, and, and up until COVID, I was speaking 50 times a year, was how in the world do you hire these people? And I say, you don't. And, they, and the people are taken aback by that. And I said, you find, you, you have somebody find uh, a, a, a player millennial in HR. That's what you're going to do. You're going to find an A player millennial in HR. And you're going to let that individual figure out what the needs are of their cohort. And your problem is solved. 
Don't try to do it yourself. You're nuts. Well, that you, you, you're exactly right. I mean, for the Dave, I don't know about the conferences you've been at, but when I've been in sessions, that is the number one thing talked about in this little conversation is you got baby boomer, older generations, like you said, Dave, with their filter and lens of what things should be like, trying to build value, hire people, determine what they need in their company. And I really love what Ken says about hire a millennial to figure out what they need for other millennials, as opposed right. to putting someone, what would say you, Dave, Will? I, I uh, well, you know, I'm a contrarian, generally speaking, probably because I like to to try to find the truth, and and that just means in order to get there, oftentimes you have to battle and butt heads. But I would argue what matters more than than the person finding somebody in that generation to understand people in that generation. I think what matters more is the process used to understand a group of people. To suggest that. Uh, a millennial is the only one capable of understanding how millennials think and what they need. I, 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 I don't, I don't think that's realistic to, to say that he's a millennial. So therefore she or he's going to understand all the other millennials and have a better idea of, of who they are. I'm, I'm not, I'm not with you on that. In associations, Dave, we've seen new, all kinds of times where there's a process that the findings get in the hand of the baby boomer, board or the baby boomer exec and it goes on a shelf somewhere why because it doesn't match up with what he or she thinks so the process is broken that, that putting it on the shelf is a broken part of the process well well the accountability of execution i think but i think what ken is saying is that if you have a millennial that's like 34 very astute that's in hr who could be the champion behind look guys this is what they need we need to carry this forward and they lead that charge i don't think ken is saying that it's the it's the catch-all savior i just think he's saying if the more millennials that you have in the HR process that, that are A players that want to have A players, you're more apt to be successful than having two 55-year-olds trying to make all those decisions all the time. That's right. So, Dave, um, I know we're coming, around, we're coming around turn four. So I'd like, to, I'd like to just ask Ken, you know, so what are, what are like, if you could say three top things that our listeners, their association executives in healthcare and automotive and, you know, and uh, there's associations for everything out there, chemical industry. If there's three things that you could surmise what associations need to pay attention to when it comes to demography and their constituents in the next five years, what would you say that is the three things need to be? The, the exodus of the boomers. We're going to see an exodus of boomers right after COVID like you cannot believe, like lemmings. Don't get upset that you don't have adequate people or, or management between the age of um, 36 and 55 right now or as, as it advances and prepare for a, an influx uh, of Generation Y millennials because they will join your organization and you have to prep for that. This is the part where I get confused, I think, because we're talking about demographics versus psychographics. And that to me is really like, that's the confusing fart part for me to, I just said fart. That's the confusing fart. <laughs> but that's the confusing fart for me to separate demographics and psychographics, because naturally when I talk about demographics, now I say based on this demographic, what's the best way to engage them? And, but I'm kind of hearing like, don't do that. We're not, we're, that, that has to be left to the association. Is that what you're saying, Ken? That they, you have to leave that part of understanding their needs into a smaller segment of people? I'm saying that, that organizations, associations, the workforce in general 
is going to have all of the talent they ever dreamed of in Generation Y. How you deal with them, how you determine uh, how they will relate to your individual situation, I am recommending that you have millennials do that now. Now, let me let me let me get let me let me because associations could be some of them could be thinking the same way, David. Let me sum it up and this up in an analogy that everybody will get the picture of. We have a cocktail party at a conference. It's got 79 people in it and they're drinking. They're going crazy. They're having a blast. They're having a good time. The bartenders love it. The managers loving it. And all of a sudden it gets time for the 79 people to go move on out the door. Slowly they're moving out the door. Meanwhile, another group of people who only have 69 people in that group start coming in. And eventually at some point in time when all the 79 people are gone in the six, they're like, where's all the drinkers? And it's because the group before them was 10 larger than the other. And then all of a sudden they start getting their time where they're walking out of the room the next hour. And all of a sudden the, the, ne- the next generation of group who have a hundred people in it, start walking into the cocktail party and they're like, holy crap. Before they started walking in, they're like, you know what? We're going out of business because there's no more drinkers. What they didn't study was that the group behind them have a hundred drinkers in it. And they're now coming into the cocktail party. And within a few minutes, they're overwhelmed with the number of people and they're not prepared for it. And that's a Thank simple analogy of what's going on in our world right now. You, because no one understands it, Dave, because they're not looking at the actual factual numbers that behind us, behind Gen X, there's 100 drinkers coming into the cocktail party as the 69 Gen Xers walk out the door. So they're coming, as Ken says, we just have to prepare for them. And it, no, when, when Ken shows his demographic chart of births, it, all of a sudden, everything lights up and you're like, OK, I understand it now. I totally understand it because now I can see the pots of people. So th- then let me let me carry that analogy one step further. And this is what I'm trying to figure out. What are they drinking? What's the next? Like, so if, if we know based on history what what the, the the original group that left, what they were drinking, are the incoming hundred drinkers drinking the same thing or are they going to want something else? And how do you prepare if you're not sure what it is they're drinking? So, so Dave, do you remember the first, the first podcast? It was called alive. We had your, your ask act. Am I alive? We have to ask them before they get in the door. What is important to you? What keeps you from being successful? What do you want to achieve? And when you ask those questions, that's the problem with people. Associations make one big, huge mistake all the time. I see it on Collaborate, the SAE. They're all trying to figure out amongst themselves, hey, what's the next new affinity program? Has anybody got any new things? And what they're not doing is asking the customer. So that's the preparation. And maybe I'm a little biased, but that's the preparation is building that process to capture the uh, and to understand the needs of your incoming members. So if if you have a a process to do that, then then I I could certainly define that process. Do you know anybody that has a process like that? (laughs) You mean the (laughs) asking, capturing and acting to get to know your members better? Because here's the thing, Dave, every association has a group of millennials that have joined. And here's what they don't do. They don't get all, all those just in a room to themselves, whether it's online or in a, a live scenario, and say, hey, why did you join? What is the pain points? Well, how can we expand out into other people like you? They just, they keep, like you said, they keep taking what they've always done and try and get more millennials with that. So I think, I think the more associations talk to the younger generation on an uh, intentional and tangible way with things like prop fuel and, uh, and, you know, and things like that, to get that feedback, you can now begin to build value that hits them right here in the heart because millennials don't buy from here. Baby boomers bought from here. Millennials buy from here. Mm. 
So we can we usually wrap this up with a closing thought, you know, your key takeaway from the session. Uh, do you want to go first or last? I'll go last. All right, Tom, what's your takeaway? My takeaway is for associations listening. I've been doing this ever since I met Ken in 2009 for 11 years, but study demographics, extrapolate how it impacts the industry that you're in. And is it like the construction industry If housing, you know, is going to be 25 million short of houses. You're going to grow like mad and need to prepare for it. So every association needs to determine how is demographic growth charts and more people going to impact their industry and then educate your members on that so they can prepare to handle that. And your association is going to grow, period, next 10 years. Yeah, that that's, I think, right, you just said in the last, it's more of a sentiment than a takeaway. It's a sentiment of excitement, which I don't think I've heard or realized that there's this, I mean, I, I think I've heard the facts about the sizes of the generations, uh, but that's awesome to hear that uh, with minimal effort, <laughs> things are going to grow. That's that's yeah. that's awesome. That's that's kind of my takeaway from this. So it's a level of excitement. What you got, Ken? What's your takeaway? Demography is big picture, macro, long term. It is not psychographics. If you look at the numbers first. You can then employ and incorporate psychographics to uh, make the demographics work better for you. <clears throat> but bottom line, associations, the best days are ahead. Absolutely, positively, best days are ahead. And they're going to be ahead because people in associations are smart and they're going to figure out how to deal with this massive new market. And they will. I, I want to make that my, now I'm taking that, I'm, I want to take mine back. I like your takeaway better the because that just provided really much better clarity for me in terms of the the value or the difference between demographics and psychographics. Mm -hmm. and so it's all coming mm -hmm. together for me at the end of this podcast. So that, that was helpful. <laughs> good. All right. Uh, Ken, thanks so much for joining Thank us. You. Tom, good find, man. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Yeah, man. See y'all later. We hope you gained some inspiration that will help you run an efficient and effective association just like a business and maybe laugh a little with us. If you have a topic you would like to hear us talk about, 
if you just want to reach out to us for any reason, you can contact us at Tom at TomMorrison.biz or Dave at PropFuel.com. Give us a review if you haven't already. And don't forget, subscribe and share with your friends.